All right, welcome back everyone to another episode of Timeout Talk. We're your hosts, Raphael Singer. And Hunter Leon. Hunter is finally back. He yes, I am. To, you know, come back from vacation. Uh, how was Mexico, man? Uh, it was good. A lot of partying. Uh, a lot of basketball, actually. Watched a lot of basketball. That's good. So, yeah, so you're prepared. I am prepared. Yeah, for anyone who had any concerns that, you know, he was slacking. He, he made they take... He made, take days off but you know the grind never stops he's always watching exactly always listening to my other basketball podcast my kenny for real my uh actually i stopped listening to Stephen a because i can't handle all of the the bs <laughs> over there all of the skipping shannon all that stuff yeah anyway uh we have a lot to unpack if you want real basketball content you got to come to time i'll talk that that's exactly what this is that Mm-hmm. the the most in-depth analysis and, and possibly the entire world about basketball i mean not even possibly probably definitely definitely, definitely. Yeah. yeah anyways uh there is a lot of news and games to cover so let's just hop right into the news first so on the last episode i went through the all defensive teams and i think the day after they released the all nba teams so i'll just go through them very quickly so the first team all nba was Steph Curry, Luka Doncic, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Kawhi Leonard, and Nikola Jokic. Second team was Damian Lillard, Chris Paul, Julius Randle, LeBron James, and Joel Embiid. And then the third team was Bradley Beal, Kyrie Irving, Jimmy Butler, Paul George, and Rudy Gobert. So what do you think of these All-NBA selections, and do you think there were any snubs? Okay, so I feel like there are definitely a few snubs that we have to talk about. Um, I think the first team is completely fair, except for Kawhi Leonard. I think that Kawhi deserves to be second team. I don't think he is just deserving of that spot. I feel like you could put definitely uh, like Luca at a forward position mm. and move in one of the guards because it's you know just so guard deep. Um, Who would you put, Dame or, or CP3 in that first team? Definitely Dame over CP3. Okay. I feel like between those two players, there's obviously a clear uh, better player who would be Damian Lillard, um, which means that Kawhi would fall to the second team. But that also either means Julius Randle or LeBron goes down to the third team, which I believe in that case would be Julius Randle. Um, but also going looking, continuing with this forward trend, I think both Paul George and Jimmy Butler should not even be on all NBA teams. Um, simply because of the fact that somebody was snubbed and that person is Kevin Durant. Kevin yeah. Durant didn't make an all NBA team. That is insane. That is a crazy. He played in just as many games as Kawhi Leonard. So there's, it's not like there's any excuses about him not missing games. He was the primary star on the Brooklyn Nets, as we all know, and he played incredible this season after an Achilles tear. Um, so honestly, you, I might put him on second team and then end up moving actually LeBron down as well to third team um, simply because, I mean, LeBron's great and all that. He missed quite a bit of time as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he isn't putting up his usual numbers because of injury and, you know, whatever's happened this season to the Lakers. So I think as far as forwards go, it ends up looking like Luca and Giannis for the uh, first team. The second team would probably be Kevin Durant, and I apologize. Who else did I say? Um, for the second team? Yeah, for the second team. I believe I said... Oh, sorry. Kevin Durant and Kawhi Leonard. 
Yeah, and yeah, then the yeah, third yeah. team would end up being LeBron James and Julius Randle. I think that's fair. Um, as far as the centers go, I think that's fair. I mean, you can't have Embiid and Jokic both be on first team. So I think it's fair to put Embiid in the second team. And then, like I said, with the guards, I think it's pretty fair, except I know it's hard to put James Harden over Kyrie Irving simply because of the amount of games he missed, but I'm, I might have to do it. I, I disagree with you there. I think Kyrie... You could also... Oh, apologize. Yeah, I mean... You could I also think, put Devin Booker in that spot. That's I was about to mention his name. I think Devin Booker, like, you could easily put him on this list for a guy like Kyrie or Bradley Beal, and no one would have any qualms about it. No one would, would be upset because he definitely is deserving of it. And maybe my, my view on D-Book is a little skewed because of the way he's been performing in the playoffs, but... I definitely think he's someone who you could consider a snub. Uh, but no, as you said, Kevin Durant is the clear snub here. I don't know how he didn't make it. I definitely think he deserves it over Paul George. I think he's the least deserving player on this list. I think, like, sure, Rudy Gobert, like, he did get exposed in the playoffs. Um, but he had a phenomenal, like, regular season. And also, it's like, there's a center on the list. So who are you taking away at the center position if exactly. you're not putting Rudy Gobert there? Like, who are you going to put? Kristaps Porzingis? Clint Capella? Like, I, oh, I we'll, we'll, we'll talk plenty about Kristaps Porzingis later in this video. Oh, boy, <laughs> do I have quite a bit to say about that, man. Yeah, no, but I, I think you hit the nail on the head. Like, these, this, this list is overall pretty, pretty like, well done and, and captures who were the best players this season. Um, I, I do think, though, that, you know, like – as you said, Kawhi Leonard could have been moved down. I think he did get that boost just from the name recognition, you know, like I think the same with LeBron too, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. LeBron is did not, if we're being completely honest, like did he play, did he have a better season than Kevin Durant? I don't think so. Like think about think about how crazy this is. Uh also Trey Young is also not on here. That's another name. Obviously, he wasn't even an all-star. I know that's crazy that he was an all-star snub as well. But I mean just next season, think you're gonna because there's a lot of guys who are breaking out this season Donovan Mitchell, Trey Young, Devin Booker, but then there's also a lot of guys who are injured. Who you have guys like Clay Thompson, Anthony Davis, um, and there's like there's some other veteran players who just like you got 15 slots, that's it. Yeah, between as in between the four and the forwards and the guards, you only have 12, so it's gonna be crazy because I mean, you just have a, a large wave of young players with still a lot of veterans who are still really talented. I think that's something that's changed a lot in the NBA is the longevity of like players' careers has gone up. So that, that obviously changes all NBA teams and selections with that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, it's like I'm so glad you brought that up because there are those like players returning from injury who, you know, typically you would find them on a list like that, like Clay Thompson or Anthony Davis. But also there's there going to be those young guys taking the next step I forgot to mention Jason Tatum. He had a great season and, and he didn't make it. That just shows, I don't think he's a snub. I, I think it just shows how good the NBA is right now, especially at the top. Um, another guy, Westbrook, you know, he obviously started the season kind of slow, but he was putting up historic numbers and he definitely could have been on like a third team or something like that. And I don't think anyone would have a problem with it. Um, but as I was saying, like the young guys are going to be taking that next leap next season like a guy like Zion Williamson or John Morant or even Trey Young who, you know, didn't make an all-star team or an all-NBA team. Th these are going to be guys who are going to be in contention 
with a LeBron James or a Chris Paul, you know? I don't know if we'll see Chris Paul here next season. But, yeah. you know, like, it, it's going to be very interesting to see as the old guard fades out, like, how the new guys come and take their place. Yeah, be, I mean, like, there's just a lot of guys on here who, for the foreseeable future, I don't see not making an all-NBA team. But, like, there's also a lot of new players coming in who I also couldn't see not making an all-NBA team. So well, it's just like, wow, this is really, like, at a point where, I, I don't know. Like, there's not really a solution to that. It's just like there's 15 guys. You don't just like create more awards. Exactly. So. It's, I think it's just going to be, it's just going to come with time. Like, I think, you know, a guy like, as we talked about, LeBron, CP3, uh, even Curry to an extent, like, who knows if they're going to be here in like two years, three years. And, and I think, guys, as I mentioned, like, even Tatum, uh, Jalen Brown, Zion, John Morant, Trey Young, these guys are going to start taking their their place. And where the, these All-NBA teams are going to start to look they're, – they're going to start to have a lot more fresh faces. Let's just put it that way very soon. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that would be a great transition from here into a little bit of something we were arguing about earlier, which is who's more impactful of a player – between Devin Booker and CP3 to the Suns. And I, I'm simply saying this because you earlier had stated that, not in the podcast, but just earlier today, said that uh, you could argue that Devin Booker should be above Chris Paul in these All-NBA teams simply because he's a more valuable player to the Suns. Yeah. But that was your argument, right? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, just you want to make your point on that? Yeah, I mean, look, if, if these playoffs have showed us anything, it's that... Devin Booker is the heart and soul of this team. I don't care like that Chris Paul, you know, he puts up 15 assists with zero turnovers and like scores 12 points. Like, yes, he is a phenomenal player. He deserves all the credit he's getting. But I think people tend to minimize Devin Booker's role in this team to praise uh, Chris Paul. You know, like Devin Booker is the primary scorer on this team. He playmakes as well. He's not a bad defender. And he, when he gets going, the whole Suns team gets going. Chris Paul, yeah, he facilitates and he's a scrappy defender. And he, he scores in crunch time. But, like, I would say that Devin Booker, if you take him out of this team, they get worse than if you take CP3 out of this team. And as another, like, uh, some more evidence, the Suns in the bubble last year, they went eight and zero when you know they were they finally were starting to click with Monty Williams, um, and that was with D Book and no CP three. So I think that just shows the value that D Book has on this team. And and even today, if we want to if we want to talk about the Suns Clipper game, Devin Booker drops a forty point triple double, carries his team to the win over the Clippers without CP three. I think that just is showing that he is the most impactful player on this team. Why Leonard wasn't in that game, just to be fair. All right. Do you want to say why CP3 is more impactful? Uh, yeah, I'll just – I wouldn't say he's necessarily more impactful. I think they have, like, an equivalent impact on this team. I think that they play very different roles. I think that, like, there's no, like, underrated Chris Paul. Like, Chris Paul is not an underrated player. He is very fairly rated as one of – the most impactful players if you put him on any team he's going to be your engine he will increase your wins by like 20 plus 
like he's just that kind of guy. He can really change the team and change the course of your season. Um, and you did say that the Suns did go eight and zero in the bubble. Yeah, they did. But even throughout that season, it, you could see that's still a young team. It's still a team that needs leadership. And obviously, Devin Booker has grown into that role of being able to be that leader for them. Although he's already like a clutch player and he has all of like the basic skills, but it wasn't until Chris Paul got there and really taught him how to be a leader that he really embraced that role as like very vocal. And like, I feel like that's part of the brilliance of Chris Paul is he teaches all of the players around him, how to sort of have that like sway. Like, I mean, Shay kind of picked that up a little bit. I think, I mean, like not to the same extent, but Dennis Schroeder definitely learned a lot in OKC under Chris Paul, like just, <laughs> sorry that was funny about no that. he he did learn i mean he's using it very well but he did <laughs> learn i i think but uh like a, a good example of that would be shay who has learned a lot even though he didn't play much of the season due to injury i mean that's a fair point i i think like we could talk about this for hours like and i think i think you actually hit the nail on the head there like they are sort of like a 1a 1b in terms of impact like they, they serve different roles, so it's hard to really gauge. Oh, okay. So now you're on my side. Ah, yes. Perfect. I'm compromising, okay? I, we, so, <laughs> what do you mean fault. compromising? I, this is what I said from the beginning. No, There's I no thought, compromising? No, I thought you were saying CB3 is more impactful. Like, CB3 is one, D-book two. But if you're saying 1A, 1B, I can get on board with that. Okay. That's fair. But uh, what do you call it? Another award that was announced... Uh, that I didn't get to to, to in the, the previous solo episode was the Rookie of the Year, which is LaMelo Ball. Uh, I don't think this came as a big surprise to many people. However, some people were upset and were saying, like, Anthony Edwards should have won the award. What did you make of the selection, and, and do you think Ant-Man was robbed? I really like LaMelo Ball just as a player, and I think this was very valid, and I think he deserved the award. I mean – when he was healthy throughout the season, he was leading the for rookies in all major statistical categories. That's not something a rookie has done for a really long time. I'm honestly not sure who has done that. Probably a guy like LeBron, maybe a guy like Ben Simmons. Uh, but oh, I mean, in his rookie year, he was doing kind of the stuff like that. So the, the point is that he is, he turned around a franchise. I mean, the Charlotte Hornets went from literally the the worst or the second worst team in the league to just adding a rookie, literally just a rookie. And now they're eight, nine seed and like that gray area. And Gordon Hayward was out. So, I mean, you could have, you could argue that they had definitely had the potential to be in the playoffs this season. And that that's a big switch. And, you know, that's like John Morant, like impact to the Grizzlies. I think like that's an equivalent level of impact to this team. Um, and John Morant won rookie of the year. Yeah. To be fair. I mean, obviously Zion was injured to be fair, but um, even though he did have this injury, I think he just deserved it a little more over Anthony Edwards because uh, although Anthony Edwards did put up more points, LaMelo had more assists and rebounds and LaMelo's team was just better because of him. Yeah, I think you you captured it perfectly. Like, yes, 
Anthony Edwards put up great numbers and he had a great rookie season. But what LaMelo did was like, you, you don't see that every day. You know, you don't see a guy, a team adding a rookie and him basically turning the franchise around. That doesn't come around often. And I like that comparison to John Morant because it is, it is pretty similar, like a, a rookie point guard having a huge impact and turning like a bottom feeder team into like an immediate playoff contender. Um, and I think that the numbers LaMelo put up, like he put up 16, six and six. Those are great numbers. As you said, before he got injured, he was leading all the rookies in every major statistical category. Um, I think over, I think overall he just had the better season and it's, it's, it's about who's the rookie of the year, which rookie had the best year. And even though LaMelo missed a little bit of time with injury, he was still able to come back. I, I, I will say this. If LaMelo missed the rest of the season after the injury, Anthony Edwards definitely should have won because that's just too much time. That's like a Zion Williamson situation. But since he came back and he put up the same numbers and he was in the playing tournament fighting for a playoff spot, that just shows like how much of an impact he had on the Hornets. And I think he definitely did deserve this award as – you mentioned yeah absolutely i think also anthony edwards put up not necessarily empty stats but he put up emptier stats than you know uh lamella ball did oh yeah i mean he like he was playing again like like the timberwolves were never going to do anything like they were definitely going to be in the lottery so there was no pressure no expectation he could just ball if he has a bad game it doesn't matter but the games LaMelo played in like mattered way more because they had actual playoff implications, you know? Yeah. So from there, I think we can go into a little bit more recent NBA news, which I'd like to start with something that, you know, has been a little disappointing or surprising to a lot of fans too, which is the Mavericks chaos just in, not in the locker, necessarily. Okay. It's not the locker room. It is the front office. Yeah, correct. So we have a few issues here. First, uh, Rick Carlisle was fired. Uh, general manager was also fired. I don't know why I'm blanking on his name right now. Um, the general and then it's not someone that important. And Mark Cuban was also caught lying about this, the team, the relationship between Luca and KP and a few other things with coaching. So what do you think of all this? I think, I mean, it sort of came out of left field for me. Like, I thought that the the Mavericks were on a good track as a, as a young team, you know? Like, they obviously matched up with a really hard opponent, both playoff bursts with Luka against the Clippers. Um, I think they did make a bad trade with that Josh Richardson-Seth Curry trade, even though I did like it in the moment. Uh, in hindsight, it was a pretty bad trade. I think it was the worst trade of that post or that season honestly honestly it could be it could be with the way Seth Curry played in the playoffs it could be uh but I I just think like maybe like shifting things up and getting a new head coach um shifting up the front office a little bit to people who may may want to make some more blockbuster moves maybe try and like move a guy like Porzingis um and and just sort of try and make Luca happy because we've heard like rumors and stuff that he might not want to sign the supermax extension and that would be really bad because you know they they want this guy here for 10 plus years they want him to be their franchise player so i think if you have to sort of blow up the front office to keep your star happy you do that 
So I obviously we're never going to know the inner workings. And I think Mark Cuban lying is just a little bit of PR. Uh, but I, I think at the end of the day, it just comes down to keeping your star happy and you do whatever it takes at that point. Yeah, I'd agree. It's about keeping your star happy. But what confuses me is they're not keeping their star happy. There's reports that the quote-unquote shadow GM is what they're calling him, which is Bob Vlgaris and Luka Doncic don't get along. And Bob Vlgaris is the guy that Mark Cuban has a great relationship with and is trending in the direction of making him the GM. Um, but it's been stated on multiple occasions that him and Luka do not get along and Luka does not like the system he wants to impose. Um, and there's there were a bunch of issues there. So that it just confuses me as to why they would want to make Luca unhappy. That is perplexing. But I think like that is a confusing move. But I think I read some some reports that uh, Luca and Rick Carlisle were not didn't always see eye to eye on many things. So I think that was more of a move to placate Luca. But yeah, no, that that front office thing is is a little confusing to me. Yeah, another thing I thought was confusing was Donnie Nelson over the over the offseason last year was the one who made all of the trades. So he did the trade for Josh Richardson and Seth Curry. He's the one who was fired, Donnie Nelson. That's the name I was forgetting. Um, it, but what was so strange was Bob Vulgaris, without actually consult, uh, consulting any of the scouting or the scouting managers for the Dallas Mavericks, decided to pick draft picks. He was the one who made draft picks with nobody else's help or knowledge uh, except Mark Cuban which is now no knowledge, um, although Donnie Nelson had no say in that, and he was the GM as well. So uh, he just made the trades, but Bob Vulgaris made the draft picks. <laughs> what is, okay, I see why there, there were some firings made. Like This just looks like a, like a, a, melt, a melting pot of ideas, and uh, just looks like it was something was going to blow up eventually you know there was just so many conflicting managers of different things it just looked like it doesn't wasn't going to work ever so I'm glad they finally pulled the trigger at least like maybe there can be some cohesion in the front office uh but yeah wow that is crazy to hear I like what yeah I've never heard of anything like that (laughs) just imagine you're the GM of a team you're like managing your assets and your players happiness they're like oh we drafted this guy like I, I couldn't have at least have like an opinion on that. Like that's ridiculous to me. Yeah. So the, I'm just reading this article a little bit more about Vulgaris and it, it's looking like uh, he was also a big part in pushing Rick Carlisle out as the coach. It looks like they didn't have a great relationship either. So I'm not exactly sure because I mean, both Obviously, Rick Carlisle and Luca didn't get along too too great reportedly, so it makes sense that maybe you don't keep him. But Donnie Nelson was there since the Steve Nash and Dirk days. He was there for twenty plus years, so he was there for those wins and like building a team from scratch. So like, I don't understand why they turned away from him if he already like has known success. Yeah, that I mean, again, I'm just gonna go back to my theory that this is all to make Luca happy, even though that like even though some of the general manager stuff is a little like conflicting with that. I think that the Rick Carlisle firing was maybe a move to, if anything, just show Luca that they're willing to, to do things, you know, they're not going to just be stagnant and just like let, 
Luca's hard work go to waste. They're going to try to make changes. They're going to try to shake things up to become contenders as soon as possible. So I, I, I don't know. That, that, that's my thoughts on, on the Mavs front office situation. All right. Uh, moving to, from there, there's some other exciting NBA news. Um, and this is rare. A trade this early into the offseason for the Boston Celtics. And they are parting with Kemba Walker and the 16th pick in the draft. Uh, oh, actually, and a 2025 second round pick to OKC for Al Horford and a 2023 pick. And so, Moses Brown. Oh, and Moses Brown. My apologies, which is big news. I'd say more so for Celtics fans. Uh, so how do you feel about that? I mean, I think it's it's one of those trades that I feel like is beneficial to both parties for the Oklahoma City Thunder. First of all, you get more draft capital, which, you know, they can never have enough draft picks. I think we were talking earlier that they're going to have six picks in this draft. They own te- at least 10% of the draft picks in this year's draft, and they could have seven potentially if the Houston pick drops to number five. And they have a 48 48- point nine percent chance of that that's insane so they like a 50 it's 50 50 for them to have it and i think you know kemba walker and i'm for the celtics uh I'm, I'm talking right now kemba walker was a big disappointment last year he had a really really down year missed a lot of time didn't look like his old self shot the ball poorly and wasn't his usual clutch you know wasn't the usual clutch player that he was so i think getting rid of him uh, was a good move and bringing in Al Horford they need a big body they just need a center and while he was there before and it didn't really work out who knows this time things might be different with a new head coach and obviously like players like Tatum and Brown have matured a lot and I think an underrated aspect of this trade is getting Moses Brown Moses Brown was quietly dominating the NBA on the OKC Thunder and he's super young so he's an asset they can build around uh, as the, as a big man to grow alongside Tatum and Brown and the rest of the young core. So I like this trade for both parties. I don't think Kemba's going to stay in OKC. I think they're going to try and ship him off to a contender. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think it's a it, it was a good trade overall. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what giving away Kemba does for the Celtics is it actually opens up a bunch of cap for them to re-sign Evan Fournier or maybe possibly get another role player so I think it was smart on that side. And like you said, I think Moses Brown is the underrated part of this deal and the fact that they get a good backup center. I mean, obviously you saw Tristan Thompson didn't really work out for them. So I think they're going to probably be part ways with him. Um, and they do have, aside from uh, Jalen Brown and Tristan Tatum, there's some other young pieces on this team. Um, that yeah, Robert Williams. Robert Williams, exactly. So they do, they're now going to have like, at least some solid depth at that center position, which I think they definitely needed. Um, when you have a guy like Al Horford, especially, let's say they're going to have him as their starting center, which I'm not sure if they're going to do since he's probably, I think, 35 this season. And he's old. <laughs> he's old. So it, even if he does start, he's not going to be playing a lot of minutes. So you need your guys like Robert Williams and Moses Brown to go out there and definitely give a little, a little bit of a punch, like just a like young guy kind of excitement. So it'll definitely be interesting to see what direction they trend in because they still are a long way to go from being the favorite. Yeah. I mean, like they, they definitely need to change some things up. 
what 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 they've been running running with recently if anything the last playoff showed doesn't work they need to shake things up so i'm glad they at least pull the trigger and, and it, as you said in the beginning this was a really early trade like trades typically don't happen during the playoffs so um i'm i'm just glad for the celtics fans that like the front office with Brad Stevens, who's the, the new head of basketball operations, um, you know, like making some changes, which are very necessary. Um, we've reached my favorite part of the podcast. I already know it. Uh, we've re- officially reached Ben Simmons hate time. This will be an unended stream of Ben Simmons hate following the Sixers loss uh, to the Atlanta Hawks in game seven at home where Ben Simmons put up a whopping five points on four shot attempts uh, in shots throughout the series, a, a NBA historic low percentage from the free throw line. Uh, so Hunter, I just posed you the question. Is this the last time we will ever see Ben Simmons in the NBA? Uh, quite frankly, I think he might end up go balling out Jake Cole in the uh, African leagues. <laughs> I think that would suit him well. Uh, so good luck, Ben Simmons. Uh, go go play in uh Togo. <laughs> I, I mean, personally, I'm more of a believer that he and Kyle Kuzma could team up on the Shanghai Sharks. I think they would be a dynamic duo. Uh, they would really dominate the league there in China. Oh, maybe with Lance Stevenson and Jeremy Lin too. That would be pretty a spectacular. Big a big three over there would be crazy. So dominant. Uh, yeah, but for real. That's <laughs> like I mean, people like always make fun of Stephen A. and like just like his ridiculous takes. But I mean, this is one where he was like just right on the head. Ben Simmons not being able to make a shot is going to cost Philly a championship, uh, which means that they have very few options because this is a guy on a max deal. Um, so there's not going to be a lot of market for him. I mean, they they're going to have to be probably looking for a team not only that has the space but is also still looking to contend because with even if you like have the space if you get Ben Simmons you're you're still going to be moving up in like your seating like automatically having Ben Simmons like he's still like a good player in the regular season even if he was crap this postseason will still give you some solid numbers get you some wins um so Let's say you're like a, a team like the OKC Thunder who's trying to get all these picks. Why would you ever trade for a guy like Ben Simmons who could possibly even lift you up like two or three seeds, which is not what you want? So there's a very, very limited market for him with no money, especially this season after COVID with, when there's going to be a lot of restrictions on the market, like for the amount of cap space. I think it's just going to be rough trying to sell him out to a different team. And I think also you could see how upset Joel Embiid was with Ben Simmons. And I think a lot of the other Philly guys are kind of tired of it too. And I think the NBA saw that. So it's just like a rough situation for them. Yeah. In all seriousness, I think this is the last time we ever see Ben Simmons in a Sixers jersey. Like I think they've realized that the duo of Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid is not going to work. And as you said, Ben Simmons, I'm laying most of the fault of the Sixers collapse on his shoulders like he first of all he didn't attempt like a single field goal in the la- in the fourth quarter of the last four games he put up five points in a game seven your max player is getting 
first of all, he's getting taken off the floor. Like the coach is calling timeouts to take your max player off the floor and he's scoring five points and he's taking four shot attempts and he has a wide open layup and he passes it. <laughs> like this is, this is not a player that's going to win you a championship. I'm sorry. The process has failed. And as you said, the market for him is super limited. I could see, however, because Ben Simmons is still young. I could see a swap for like a super young rebuilding team like OKC, like Houston, uh, trying to trade for him and like make him a part of their young core. Uh, because I don't think Simmons is really, I think C- Simmons is like a, a ceiling raiser maybe, but he's not a floor raiser. He's not going to be able to like single-handedly win your team's games because he's not an offensive threat at all. He's an offensive liability, you know? So I could see a team like, like a John Wall Simmons swap or a Kemba Simmons swap, something of the sort, you know, like a, a, a bad contract for a bad contract. Honestly, this might sound weird, but I think a possible destination for him might end up being actually Portland um, with CJ McCollum, like a, a CJ for Ben Simmons kind of trade, because I don't think the, the Blazers are worried about any sort of uh, lacking of three-point shooting, but they are worried about a lack of perimeter and inside defense. Um, I just think overall that Portland is a team that could use defense and facilitating outside of Damian Lillard. Um, and I think a team that could use some more just scoring threats, somebody who can get your own bucket, um, is a team that in Philly, although they would need a primary facilitator still to be on the floor, which means you might have to end up trading a guy like, uh, you know, a Seth Curry uh, you know, just one of the, those role players on that team to get a, a facilitator. But I think that's a very possible destination for Ben Simmons. I think San Antonio, that's another one that's been a lot of people's discussions, even though I don't think it makes much sense for San Antonio to do, because you still have a great young core there and the guys like DeJounte Murray, Lonnie Walker. And I don't think you end up really giving up those guys to get, you know, somebody who you could possibly take a chance on and getting the eight seed, like where you're already at that cusp kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so I think we should talk a little bit more about like potential trades and stuff in the off season, but I definitely think that Ben Simmons is going to be done, like just done with the Sixers. Yeah. I Can I just say this about Ben Simmons though? First, I mean, that Portland trade idea is really intriguing and I could definitely see that happening because it just makes sense for both sides. But I will, I want to say this about Ben Simmons, you know, we, we've talked about in the past, not in the podcast, but just casual basketball conversation about how if Ben Simmons could shoot or if he had a more developed offensive game, he could be a LeBron type player, like one of the best players in the NBA period. He has, he's 6'10". He has incredible passing vision. He can facilitate like not many other players can. He's actually the fastest player in the NBA. That's a fact. He's the fastest. Like apparently he's the fastest player in the NBA. He, is, he has the fastest dash across the court of any NBA player at six ten, and he's a defensive player of the year candidate. Imagine adding even a mid, like an average offensive game, just like mid range jumpers or like just floaters, like maybe thirty something percent from three, like a low thirties percent from three. Anything like low thirties, even high twenties, where they would take anything just to like diversify the Sixers offense and not have to force 
Doc Rivers to call timeouts to take Ben Simmons out of the game. It also puts a lot of strain on Joel Embiid. I mean, who's a guy who this year obviously was able to be successful, although he did have some injuries in the postseason. This is a guy who is injury prone as a player, and you're just adding to his load because you obviously know that they're going to be able to pack the paint because Ben Simmons can't shoot. Sometimes Joel Embiid isn't hot from three, and your only real perimeter threats on that team are Seth Curry, and, like, that's kind of it. Yeah. I mean, that's – yeah, like, it's just – it doesn't work. The combination between the two doesn't work because he's so limited. And you, I think we've seen like video of Simmons shooting and when he has shot threes or even mid range shots, like the shot doesn't look terrible. It looks workable. So I think what it comes down to is a psychological problem. Ben Simmons is just, he's scared. He's too hesitant. He's anxious. He doesn't want to shoot the basketball or even take shots anymore. Like, a perfect example of this was in the game today. He had a wide open layup. He settles for the pass instead when it made zero logical sense because he's scared to shoot the ball. He's scared to do anything on offense besides pass the ball. And that's a deeper problem than just like getting a shooting coach. You know, that's like a sports psychologist problem. That's like, <laughs> they got to go send him to the, trauma, you know, like, <laughs> And I think what would really help that is just a change of scenery. So looping back, I think you and me are right in that Ben Simmons should be gone from the Philadelphia 76ers. Oh, wait, 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 wait. You think you're, you're, think you're right. That's incredible. Something yeah. you said oh. a few minutes ago, you think you're correct about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think another one that might be interesting is also uh, – the the kings i think they have some whoa, assets whoa, whoa. save all this for the off season man we, we need some content <laughs> yes might be dry as hell so we need to save this for the off season i think this off season is going to be an interesting one to talk about but still we have we have a lot to get into in this episode still so the next thing we have to get into would be the clippers coming back to beat the jazz and i know you know the clippers just played today we have a little more to talk about there but we never got the chance to talk about Terrence Mann balling out out of nowhere. Literally no, out of nowhere, Terrence Mann drops 39 points in a game seven to get the Clippers the dub without Kawhi. We've now reached my second favorite part of the podcast. Rudy Gobert hate like hate time because I think, well, yes, you have to give credit to Terrence Mann. 39 points is incredible, and he had a phenomenal performance. He was hitting every shot. And just looks so confident out there. What is Rudy Gobert doing, man? Like, this is a three-time defensive player of the year who is leaving Terrence Mann open every single time. He doesn't know how to go over the pick and roll. He gets exposed in the playoffs routinely. If you watch that game, it was the most frustrating thing ever. It was literally every player on the Clippers taking turns scoring on Rudy Gobert. Reggie Jackson took his turn. Then Terrence Mann did. Then Patrick Beverly. Patrick Beverly was shooting threes on Rudy Gobert and, like, putting his hands down like he was Steph Curry. Rudy Gobert is making Patrick Beverly look like Steph Curry. (laughs) And he has three Defensive Player of the Year awards. (laughs) What? How? I'm just, like, it's he's such an infuriating player because – he is just so slow. How? Okay, I don't understand this. Answer me this question. How can you be a three-time Defensive Player of the Year 
and still be a defensive liability for your team? Answer me that because I don't get it. I think it's a regular season kind of thing where it's like, you know, he 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 just sustains throughout the regular season, stays down low in the post, gets his blocks, you know, does his thing. And then when it comes to the playoff, teams are able to pull him out of the paint and expose that. Yeah. I mean, we saw that. Like, the Clippers ran small ball basically all this series. And yeah, Nicholas Batum at center for most of it. And they just got exposed. They had no answer to it because Rudy Gobert has the feet speed, foot speed of a literal turtle. Like, this guy moves so slow, he can't keep up. It's literally worse than watching, like, most like literally NBA, NBA player. Like, just give me an NBA player. Like, just it's just worse. Like, I'd rather watch Boban Marjanovic run down the floor than watch Rudy Gobert try to run from the, the post to the three-point line. Like, it's just that bad. Yeah, I – it's frustrating. And it's especially frustrating because Donovan Mitchell poured his heart out this series. He – like was dropping 30 plus every night in the game six element uh, uh, that they got eliminated in. Like he was really, uh, you know, giving it his all. And he just looks so heartbroken because his team really let him down. Like he did all he could, but you know, French Bismack Biombo like was just getting cooked by Reggie Jackson and Patrick Beverly routinely and Terrence Mann, obviously. Yeah. Honestly, this, we have, this is another discussion we have to have is this last time we're going to see Rudy Gobert, and a Utah jersey, which I don't think it is, but I think it's something they need to really discuss because, I mean, somebody had to play in the max contract, and it's Utah, which is really unfortunate for... Isn't for, it the uh, biggest contract in NBA history? No, no, I don't think so. Giannis is. Oh, it was for a moment. I remember that. It was definitely the biggest for, for a while. Yeah, but Giannis now has the biggest contract, but there was, a, I do believe you're right, there was a point in time where he had the biggest contract in the NBA, <laughs> which is really unfortunate. Because you're paying this man to score eight points and get you two blocks, and that's about it. And can we just talk about his offensive game? Because as we previously mentioned... He doesn't have one. The Clippers were running small ball. So you would think the biggest guy on the floor, your seven-plus-foot center, would be grabbing offensive rebounds and getting putbacks and you know dominating on the offensive glass and in the post. But no, he just stands there and gets out-rebounded by Nicholas Batum. Like, he's soft. He's just a soft player. It's, it's frustrating, man. I want to see my man Donovan Mitchell out of Utah because I've, I've lost all hope for this organization. If, if they're really going to try to win with Rudy Gobert as the number two option, I don't see it happening ever. Yeah, I think they definitely need another player. And honestly, that was kind of Mike Conley this year, but not even that was enough. I mean, like, and this is a team that was so deep. They had so many role players, so many options. And it just like, you realize that it doesn't matter because they can just expose Rudy Gobert and say, okay, as long as we can just sort of contain Donovan Mitchell, we can like just weather the storm and win. Yeah. I mean, basically that's, that's a perfect encapsulation of what happened. But can we give some credit to the Clippers, as much as it pains us to do so, we got to give credit to them. They're the first team in NBA history to come back from two consecutive 0-2 deficits. This is a team that just doesn't quit ever. You know, like they, they were down 25 points at one point in this game, and they could have easily just been like, all right, we got a game seven next. Like, let's just regroup and, and focus our efforts on that one. But no, they fought. 
they, they battled and they won the game and they won the series coming back from 0-2, just like they did against Dallas. Um, and so you, you honestly have to give credit to this team. You have to give credit to Paul George for stepping up big. Uh, no more, no more pandemic P uh, <laughs> no more playoff P jokes. He's been balling. He's, I think he's redeemed himself at, by now. He's looking like his Indiana self. Yeah. He's looking like Indiana. He's looking like, 2019 Paul George his OKC year yeah that one MVP season yeah that's so weird to think that Paul George was once a top three MVP candidate out of nowhere and then just regressed right back to it yeah but he's he's back now bro he's back yeah finals MVP that's what he's gonna be I'd like to talk about the next topic here which is that Kevin Durant's shoe size is half a size too big or he'd be (laughs) in the conference finals against the Hawks, but <laughs> uh, that's that's rough, man. Bucks, Nets, what an incredible game seven. I got to give it to both teams. They both put up incredible fights um, and got to give it just to the Bucks for this one. What do you think of this series? I mean, this is a great series to watch. You know, it's, it's a real shame that injuries sort of like hampered the Nets because I would have loved to see Giannis beat them on full strength. Um, Which wouldn't have happened. Could have. I mean, who knows? Mm, no, no chance. I honestly think if the, if the Nets are fully healthy from the beginning of the series, I honestly think it could go five games. Not to say that would go five games. I think it has the potential to easily go five games, but it could also go six, seven games. I agree. Uh, Bucks and five for sure. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, let's be realistic here. Bucks in three. <laughs> But um, now coming back to the series, like credit to Kevin Durant, like this dude did everything he could. He balled out the last two games, played every possible minute he could. That was insane. Like imagine coming off an Achilles tear and then like literally having to play every single possible minute of, you know, two of the biggest games of the playoffs. So credit to him there. Honestly, credit to Harden, even though like, he was hurt. He was playing on one leg. This man still was a threat. Yeah, he came out and he played. Respect to him. But and obviously credit to Giannis. Like he finally like got over the hurdle. I think the Bucks are going to the finals now. Like Giannis is coming different this year. Yeah, and I think Giannis recognized when it was time to take perimeter shots and when it was time to take inside shots. I think this year he really not necessarily this whole year, but this postseason, he's really understood that because there was a game against the Bucks where he didn't take a single perimeter shot and they won that game. And there have been other games where he took a few perimeter shots and they still won, but he recognized when it, he felt it when he didn't feel it. Yeah. Yeah. I think we were just seeing maturity. And also, even though he, even though he didn't really have the best game seven, Drew Holiday was really big for the Bucks this season. And I think he was really worth every pick and, and asset that they gave up to get him. I mean, they gave up Eric Bledsoe, so definitely, definitely worth him. But the picks, especially, uh, and he made some big, big shots for them in Game Seven. And obviously, he's such a huge defensive anchor. Um, credit to Brooke Lopez. Besides that one slip up in Game Seven where he forgot what the shot clock was, had a little J.R. Smith moment. I think he's the new biggest meme of the NBA. Honestly, that's, <laughs> that's pretty bad. That was so funny. He just like. They embattled threw him it out to Chris Middleton after a timeout too. They got to <laughs> give that. I'm not sure if he wasn't paying attention or if Coach Bud didn't say just shoot it, but uh, 
Not too good. Not a great look. But he had some big blocks throughout this series. And, you know, he was really the big guy holding down the paint. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I like this Bucks squad a lot. I think they're going to the finals. Um, do you have anything else to add? Yeah, I also want to talk about a little bit. I know it's a little off topic, but Spencer Dinwiddie declined his player option today. So that's some big news considering that coming off an Achilles tear, he just declined $10 million. So that means he's looking for more than 10 million off an Achilles tear. Uh, do you think he's going to get that much? I think so. I think Spence, Spencer, he like showed he is like a very quality NBA player. Like he can be a major contributor on the championship team. Uh, and I think some some team is willing to throw him a bag. Like I could easily see him going to the Kings for like twenty million a year. You know? Mm-hmm. Do you think that the the Nets need to be a little worried that they won't have him there as backup to James Harden and to Kyrie Irving, even though they didn't need him this year? That would have definitely helped them. So, how do you think they feel about that? I don't think the Nets are worried at all. I think the what's happening in the Nets front office and management right now is just like. Okay, we got unlucky with the injuries. Let's let's just round out our rotation a little bit in the offseason, try and pick up some like periphery guys, get healthy and just run it back, you know? They just mm-hmm. got unlucky, to be honest. Yeah. And I think it was pretty ballsy of Steve Nash to be running a seven-man rotation in these series, which I really appreciate compared to a guy like Coach Bud, who will play who last year played Giannis like 28 minutes in important playoff games. So like, it's kind of refreshing to see a coach who's like, I, you're my best player. You're out there for every minute because I need you for every minute. While that is true, there are advantages and disadvantages. Like Kevin Durant, by the end of the game, he was so tired that I think that's the reason why he airballed, you know, like he just didn't have his legs under him. They just gave, they just gave out uh, because he played so much over the past two games. So I think their advantage, like maybe they don't win game six if he doesn't play every minute, but you know, like it, it does cause some crazy fatigue. Yeah, for sure. But I think it's just definitely refreshing to see a little bit of coach who isn't afraid to do that. Definitely. Like Steve Nash, do, what, what do you think now after his first season coaching the Brooklyn Nets, how would you assess his performance? I'd say it's kind of hard to assess considering he's like a big super team that just was like injury prone this year, but I'd say it was like successful. Like we saw that Steve Nash isn't just like a bum. Like he isn't Luke Walton. Like, like he is a NBA quality coach. And I think we really have to see a little more from him to see how like great he is as a coach. But I don't – there's no doubt in my mind that he's, he's going to be a good coach in this league. He's a smart player, or he was a smart player and still is smart. So I think he'll be a great coach. Yeah, I, I mean, you, you captured it perfectly. Um, moving on, I, I, before we, we go into, like, the, the next official topic, I realized we didn't talk about the Hawks who, you know, are going back to the conference finals for the first time since 2015. So talk to me a little bit about what you see in this Hawks team. Yeah, I mean, I am not the biggest fan of Trey Young just his game or like that style of play, but give him all the credit in the world, man. I mean, he really just, not necessarily in this game, but throughout the postseason, he put this team on his back. And you also have to give credit to the Hawks front office because they put together a really deep squad 
that just cohered really great together and made some great mid-season trades to improve their positioning by trading uh, Rondo for t- Lou Williams. So, like, I think they just put it together really well. And just I'm, I'm happy for Hawks fans and for the team in general because they, they did something which a lot of teams haven't done, which I think is great for the NBA, which is they had a real successful rebuild in a small market not necessarily a small market, but like not a big market. And they didn't like just get a superstar to make it happen. Right. I mean, they sort of, they sort of, they did sort of get a superstar, but you know, it was the organic way. They drafted. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, they didn't just like recruit a superstar. Yeah. They didn't go the Brooklyn Nets approach. Yes. I'm just buying their way to, to superstars. But yeah, I, I have to agree again. Like, I think this team is really well constructed. Like just watching them play, they have so many guys who can just do everything. Like you have your shooters in Gallinari and Bogdanovich and Herder, who's been really great for them throughout these playoffs, especially today in that game seven. You obviously have Trey Young, who's a phenomenal facilitator. And even when I, I have to agree, like I don't like Trey Young's game, but he does have that sort of like willingness to to take shots and and, and even when he's struggling, like he was having a pretty poor game today, per, uh, just in terms of efficiency. And yet he still down the stretch takes a big like logo bomb and makes it. So you have to give some respect because not every player has that within them. Um, and as you said, like Lou Williams, great bench scorer. I love Clint Capella on this team as a rim protector and as uh, like a, just that guy snatching up every board. I like Onyeka Okongwu coming off the bench. This team, it's just very well constructed. Um, I think the uh, the Atlanta Hawks executive, or yeah, the, the executive one executive of the year. So I think that's very well deserved. And um, yeah, I mean, uh, just actually, never mind. It was the Phoenix Suns. So disregard everything I just said. But regardless, the team is very well put together. Yeah, I mean, I think another thing, sorry, I sort of mentioned this, but the Suns are another team that have a, a, a very organic approach to this superstar sort of approach and like getting their talent to be risen to this sort of level. They, I mean, they drafted their guys, of, except for Chris Paul, of course, this was a very organic process. And I mean, without Chris Paul, I still think they would have been great. He just sped up that process for them. Definitely. Yeah, for sure. And I, I love seeing teams that do it organically because there is a sort of beauty to it, to, you know, to see like the, the homegrown guys doing it for the team that drafted them. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of the homegrown guys, without Chris Paul, the Suns were able to beat the Clippers today with Devin Booker's 40-point triple-double, although Kawhi Leonard was not playing. And not only was this a 40-point triple-double in game one of the conference finals, but it was Devin Booker's first career triple-double, which that makes was- it even sweeter. That was crazy. Um, yeah, wow. Like, that, that was amazing, the performance he had today. Um, and this is yet another uh, little piece of evidence for my working theory that the mid-range isn't dead. It's just dead for, like, worse players. Like, Devin Booker today, he was cooking the Clippers mostly from the mid-range, and it was beautiful to see. His game is very Kobe-esque, and I think that's because he was obviously, like, one of Kobe's disciples uh, and he learned a lot from him 
but it, it's just gorgeous to see the way he's able to navigate the mid-range. It's almost Chris Paul-esque in a sense, like in the sense that they're able to navigate through like traffic yeah, yeah. And, and score in the mid-range. Um, but it's, also- it's almost like Chris Paul and Devin Booker have been in some sort of contact to make, to allow Devin Booker to have that sort of flow to his game. Uh, I mean, I didn't see CP3 on the floor today, so I, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, maybe not. Maybe it's just a crazy theory, though. Working theory yeah. I have going on here. He's on this team? I didn't even know that. Yeah, but honestly, if Kawhi's in this game and CP3's in this game, it could go either way. I think in this series, if both teams are healthy, it's still 50-50. And honestly, I think it's really unfortunate that we don't get to see that that was a point lebron actually made that this postseason at least eight all-stars have been out due to injury sheesh that's in those that's donovan mitchell chris paul anthony davis who else do you have in that list Kawhi leonard it's like there's so many guys on this list you can just go on and on and on joel Embiid missed time uh, Jamal Murray missed time. Just a ton of guys just missed the postseason completely. Jalen Brown missed the postseason. Like, I just every they keep popping into my head. It, it just shows you how like detrimental this offseason was to a lot of teams. Like, the shortened offseason, right? That's a really great point. By wait, you said LeBron said that, yeah. LeBron, Trey Young also missed some time, he didn't miss a full game. But he was hurting. You could see throughout this series against the Sixers, his shoulder, they were like literally just covering it, banding, 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 and putting ice and everything. So like people aren't healthy. Yeah. I mean, that that's a great point by LeBron. Um, he, he seems like a cool guy. Do you think we could get him on the podcast? Uh, you know, actually, I could promise to the viewers um, that within the next six to eight years, LeBron will be on the pod. It's a, it's a guarantee. All right. <laughs> In six to eight years, please contact Hunter Leon. Um, he will owe everyone who listens to this at least a hundred dollars. Uh, <laughs> All six people. I'm gonna talk. Hey, All we right. appreciate you, listeners. We appreciate. Yeah, for real. All um, right. But I think to conclude this episode, let's just get some predictions for the conference finals. Who do you have winning the Bucks uh, Hawks series? You know, I want the Hawks to win, but realistically, I think it's Bucks and six. I think I'm giving I'm giving the Hawks a fight. I'm not going to make it that easy. I think the Hawks have been proving a lot of people wrong this postseason, so I'll say Hawks and or Bucks and six. I go Bucks and seven just to be different. And then okay. um, Suns Clippers. Who do you have? If Chris Paul comes back by, I don't think he's back next game, but maybe in two games. I could see this being probably Suns in set six, seven games. If Kawhi comes back, honestly, Clippers could win in seven. I got Suns in six. I got something. In six. Okay. But I, I don't think Kawhi's coming back. So that's the unfortunate reality because he got an MRI done. That's serious on this calf. So, yeah. Let's see I what happens. We'll just have to wait and see. Um, but right. yeah, that's been another episode of Time Out Talk. Thank you all so much for listening, and we'll see you all in the next episode. Bye-bye. Bye bye.